House is adjourned until after the election. The Senate will the Senate came back into session last Monday and stayed in session through the weekend and into this week until Judge Barrett is confirmed. Last week in the Senate, the Senate came back into session last Monday afternoon and resumed consideration of the nomination of Michael J. Newman to be a U.S. District Court judge for the Southern District of Ohio. During the course of the week, Senate Democrats determined to show the radical extremists in their base that they were doing everything they possibly could to block the confirmation of Judge Barrett to the Supreme Court when they knew they could not actually stop it, engaged in much of what can only be called mischief-making, appeals of the ruling of the chair, procedural roll call votes, motions to recess, etc. I'm not going to go into the details other than to say the mischief-making began on Monday and continued on through the weekend. On Tuesday, the Senate voted on a standalone amendment replenishing PPP funds. The motion failed. On Wednesday, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell brought up the Republicans' so-called skinny coronavirus relief bill again. Democrats blocked it. On a straight party line vote, the cloture vote was 51 to 44. In the midst of the mischief-making, the Senate voted to confirm Michael J. Newman to be a U.S. District Court judge for the Southern District of Ohio. This week in the Senate, the Senate will vote to confirm Judge Amy Coney Barrett as the next justice of the Supreme Court. That vote will likely take place around dinner time tomorrow. Now to reforming the civil service bureaucracy. Late Wednesday, President Trump issued an executive order that the Washington Post described as, quote, his biggest broadside yet against the federal bureaucracy, unquote, which would remove job security from an estimated tens of thousands of civil servants. The order strips civil service protections from employees whose work involves policymaking, thereby allowing superiors to dismiss them with little cause or recourse, much like the roughly 4,000 political appointees that come and go with every administration. White House officials declined to say how many of the federal government's 2.1 million civilian employees would fall into this new unprotected category, but union leaders and experts on the civil service said it could range from tens of thousands to even hundreds of thousands. Said Richard Loeb, senior policy counsel for the American Federation of Government Employees, the largest union representing federal employees, quote, I am calling this a declaration of war on the civil service. End quote. Said OMB director Russ Vogt, quote, President Trump is delivering on his promise to make Washington accountable again to the citizens it's meant to serve. This much needed reform will increase accountability in essential policymaking positions within the government. End quote. To Hunter Biden, on Thursday evening in Nashville, 90 minutes before the debate, a former business colleague of Hunter Biden by the name of Tony Bobulinski appeared before the media and called Joe Biden a liar for saying he had never spoken to his son Hunter about Hunter's business ventures. Quote, I have heard Joe Biden say he never discussed his dealings with Hunter. That is false. I have firsthand knowledge about this because I directly dealt with the Biden family, including Joe Biden, unquote he said, to the assembled press corps. Bobulinski then showed three smartphones he said he would be turning over to the FBI as evidence of his claims. To coronavirus relief, we're now nine days away from the election. Despite Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin's best efforts to cave, the White House has now offered to spend $1.9 trillion on a new bill. Speaker Pelosi still has not agreed to accept yes as an answer. She doesn't want $1.9 trillion, She wants the whole kit and caboodle. President Trump continues to insist that he wants to spend even more than that and continues to insist that despite clear opposition from Senate Republicans, he will be able to garner at least 13 votes from Senate Republicans to pass the package. 
If you're trying to figure out why he would only need 13 votes from Senate Republicans rather than 53, it's because he's assuming all the Democrats in the Senate would vote for such a massive spending package and the vast majority of Republicans would vote against it. So the math suggests he would need 13 Republican votes to be added to 47 Democrat votes to get to the 60 votes necessary to invoke cloture and move such a bill forward. Frankly, I don't think the president is as good a vote counter among Senate Republicans as is the majority leader. I think it's a safe bet that we're not going to get a new coronavirus relief bill signed into law before the election. After the election, the dynamic changes. The urgency of now will be replaced by the sensibility of just what the heck are we doing, at least among some people. Stay tuned. Now to court packing. On Tuesday, Senator Ted Cruz of Texas and several of his Republican colleagues introduced two new proposals to enshrine the number of justices of the Supreme Court at nine. The first is a constitutional amendment, H.J. Res. 95, that simply says, quote, the Supreme Court of the United States shall be composed of nine justices, end quote. Pass that through both houses of Congress with a two-thirds vote, then get it ratified by three-quarters of the states, and it's done. But constitutional amendments take a while to get ratified, so there's a second legislative alternative. S-4805 would create a point of order against legislation modifying the number of justices of the Supreme Court so that it would necessitate the support of two-thirds of the Senate before any such legislation could be passed. On Thursday, CBS News released excerpts of an interview Joe Biden sat for with Nora O'Donnell of 60 Minutes. In the interview, Biden went further than he has previously regarding court packing. Quote, if elected, what I will do is I'll put together a national commission of bipartisan commission of scholars, constitutional scholars, Democrats, Republicans, liberals, conservatives. And I will ask them over 180 days to come back to me with some recommendations as to how to reform the court system because it's getting out of whack. End quote. Pressed by O'Donnell as to whether or not the commission would study packing the court, Biden said, quote, there's a number of alternatives that are go well beyond packing, unquote. But he did finally concede that packing the court remains what O'Donnell called a live ball. Now to the Supreme Court. The Senate Judiciary Committee met on Thursday morning to consider the nomination of Judge Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court and to consider other judges as well. Democrats chose to boycott the meeting to show the radical extremists in their base that they were doing everything possible to prevent Barrett's confirmation. Judiciary Chairman Lindsey Graham did not fall for it. With all 12 Republican members of the committee present, he called up the nomination and took the vote. Not surprisingly, Barrett's nomination received affirmative votes from all 12 Republicans. Some critics of the Barrett nomination have been saying Chairman Graham jammed the committee vote through despite committee rules requiring the presence of at least two members of the minority. In fact, committee precedent permits nominations being sent to the full Senate for consideration as long as a majority of the committee is physically present, even if fewer than two members of the minority are present. In addition to skipping the meeting, Democrats could not raise a point of order because the precedent had last been utilized in 2014 when Democrat Patrick Leahy of Vermont and Batman movie fame sent nominations to the Senate floor without the presence of the required two members of the minority. Senate Majority Leader McConnell let the Barrett nomination lay over a day on Thursday and then brought it to the floor on Friday. He also filed, he also filed cloture on the nomination on Friday. That cloture motion ripened on Saturday, where the only other thing of note on the confirmation was Alaska Senator Lisa Murkowski's announcement that despite opposing the installation of a new Supreme Court justice before the election, she would vote yes on the actual confirmation vote. 
That leaves Maine Senator Susan Collins as the only Republican planning to vote against Barrett's confirmation. Leader McConnell brought the Barrett nomination cloture motion to a vote early this afternoon, an hour after the Senate opened for business. Cloture was invoked by a vote of 51 to 48. So we are now in the post-cloture debate period, which could last up to 30 hours. We anticipate a final vote on Barrett's confirmation to take place Monday evening around dinner time. Finally, more on social media. Last week, I told you about the Republican National Committee filing a complaint with the Federal Election Commission about the decision by Facebook and Twitter to block their users from sharing New York Post stories about the Hunter Biden hard drive. What I did not tell you is that Tea Party Patriots Foundation was in the process of writing and filing a similar FEC complaint against Twitter and two of its top executives. I did not share that with you because the FEC complaint had not been filed yet. It was filed on Tuesday. On Thursday, at the same Senate, Judici Senate Judiciary Committee meeting where the committee voted on Judge Barrett's confirmation, Chairman Graham also brought up the issue of subpoenas for executives from Facebook and Twitter to appear before the committee. Because the Democratic members of the committee were boycotting the meeting, so as to virtual signal on Barrett, they also were not there to argue against or demand a delay in any subpoenas that might be issued to the social media executives. And consequently, the committee's 12 Republican members voted to issue said subpoenas. The hearing date has not yet been set. The following day, Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas appeared on CNBC's Squawk Box show, where he was questioned about the Republican criticism of the big tech giants. Co-host Andrew Ross Sorkin took on Cotton, arguing that rather than ignore the story, as Cotton had suggested, mainstream news outlets had simply not been able to corroborate the story. Quote, so just to clarify, Sorkin insisted, it is not that news organizations are not looking into this. It's that they haven't been able to corroborate the story. A responsible news organization, therefore, wouldn't report it, he concluded rather smugly. Then Sorkin pressed further, bringing up Facebook and Twitter directly. Quote, now the next piece of this is you're talking about the tech companies censoring such quote-unquote news. If, in fact, the tech companies had quote-unquote liability, like news operations do, you wouldn't want them to be reporting something that they couldn't corroborate, no? Cotton went in for the kill. You mean like the Russian collusion hoax and the Steele dossier that you reported on for four years, Andrew? End quote. Game, set, match to Cotton. And that's our Washington Report for this week.